Hello, audience, and welcome yet again to Good Movie Podcast. A subsidiary of anime was not a mistake. That's true, that's true. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski, and the Robins, they've come home to roost again! Joined, as always, by my effervescent co-host... Dan Ryan, uh, and I'm interested in buying this axe, if that's okay, but... Yeah, so you've not joined us during Anime Was Not a Mistake... Mm-hmm. As we have to suggest, this isn't the se- this is the second episode in our new series of podcast episodes being about good movies. Yes, where we try to surprise each other with good movies that we've accumulated throughout our course of our life. Yes. Um, Dan, last time you gave me Indiana Jones, which was expected. Mm-hmm. It's something that we both enjoyed through the course of our lives. Yeah. And uh, this is something that I kind of threw at you. What did we watch, Daniel Ryan? We watched uh, David Lynch's 1986 mm-hmm. classic. Yes, Blue yes, yes. Blue Velvet. And, you know, it's something that we're just doing on the fly from now on for mm-hmm. good movies. The, 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 the... The hierarchy of the episode isn't set in stone. We can kind of do whatever we want for these good movie podcast episodes. Whatever's best for that individual movie. Yeah, and the first question I want to ask you, Dan, is what did you think of this movie? General thoughts and impressions. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had never... Because I had assumed that either, you know... On the podcast or off the podcast, we would watch this somewhere down the line. Yeah. So you I thought I was never... going to start with a big budget Hollywood musical, huh? Well, yeah, well, yes, but luckily you've gotten no. several of those out of the way. But that's th- true. Yeah. I, I did not look into. I have never looked into anything about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only exposure to David Lynch that I have had is Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, which came four years after this, yeah. four or five years, I think. Yeah, it was a little bit after this. Uh, no Eraserhead, though? I would no, thought you would have seen that. Not hmm. yet. That would have uh, been a dead favorite, I think. That that makes you think, that one. But I'm going to, you know, now that now that this one is... is well, you've clear, seen might... the original Dune. Yes. So, yeah. you've seen some. That's David true, Lynch. that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, another Kyle MacLachlan star. Yeah. Um, but I, I could definitely see a lot of... And I don't know if this is correct or not, but a lot of, like, proto-Twin Peaks stuff in this. Yeah, I, I, like, how David it, Lynch uses the imagery mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the creepy small-town vibe. But the whole time, I was expecting something much more tragic. Yeah, dark and sinister. Yeah. At the time period, I feel like it was kind of that. Yeah. Giving the audience what they wanted in that. But I, I could feel it going that way, too, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do get that feeling after watching it recently. And my second question, Dan, why do you think I picked this for you? Well, mm-hmm. you pointed out that, as always, uh, we could easily star in a recreation yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Something I always look out for for any movie I suggest is if Dan and I could recreate this faithfully on YouTube and get the views. Again, creepy small town vibes. Uh, yeah, very Kenilworthian. Twin Peaks vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not. I'm not entirely sure why. Interesting. You'll have to enlighten me. It was a left field pick for me. Mm-hmm. It was a, a last second change. I was going to do something a little bit more classic, Jonathan, to start us off. But I had notes already accrued for this at the instant, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, well. Why not put them to good use? This is a Jonathan classic. It may be a little bit down the line, but why not start it off with something that will surprise and shock Dan mm-hmm. to the point that he said, I have to rethink my next pick. Mm-hmm. I said, hmm, interesting. But Blue Velvet, a little bit of background. This is David Lynch's fourth feature film after Eraserhead, uh, The Elephant Man and Dune, and it's a return to form to surrealism of Eraserhead and a very, very close Twin Peaks feel. Yes. Which is something that you've obviously picked up on. Uh, Chosen for the dreamlike quality, mystery, and psychological horror that is there within. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, majorly for the theatricality, which I think is going to pervade every choice that I pick on this. Something related to theater in some specific way. Of course. And David Lynch, he's got those blue velvet curtains, the red velvet curtains, whatever. That's a signature of his. Mm -hmm. And he always, like, has a little song and a dance within it. He cares about theater in some way, mm-hmm. showing this uh, medium to an audience. Um, I've been meaning to do an analysis for a while. I had the notes uh, set aside. Um, but I think that it's inspired simply by having a feeling um, about just returning to classic noir 
in a new twist style. Okay. I think noir is a uh, genre that we can both get into. We love a good mystery. We love a good femme fatale. There's something stewing in my Sinister Six picks that is not good noir, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that someday. So yeah, yeah we, we, we appreciate it, yep. I think. And David Lynch himself, he created this movie just based on one idea that was a severed orifice slash portion to the body. I don't I don't know how to explain this. It's like and, something coming into the body indirectly. Okay. That's like his main draw. He was like, I'm going to have this idea. This is the main theming for Blue Velvet. Um, Blue Velvet is a popular song written and composed in 1950 by Bernie Wayne and Lee Morris. And that's another inspiration that Lynch had. Okay. He heard that song and he said, I have to make a movie surrounding this song somehow. And, and again... With the title and with the imagery, the entire time I was thinking of all the ways that Blue Velvet could apply to this. Well, it, I think it does go a little bit deeper than you might think, too. Like, it, I've got some yeah. ideas in my notes, but it, go on. Just, just right from the get-go, and and we're, we might be starting on the stupid note here, but no, on no, no, the no. Blu-ray case, yeah. the way that the Blue Velvet creases looks like trees. Oh, yeah. So it, I was thinking, okay, tree lines, similar to Twin yeah. Peaks find the ear in a field mm-hmm. you know they're, they're in the town of lumberton with the woodchucks and they're they're a big lumber mill industry it does remind it's... me from the imagery of uh sergey bondachuk's war and peace which which we if we have 16 hours on the podcast uh-huh. i'd be happy to bring that to you <laughs> easily yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but go on go but on when i was thinking of that i was thinking of of let like again like the folds kind of look like trees <laughs> When he finds the ear and there's, like, mold on it, mm-hmm. that mold is velvety sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, it's okay. It's got the same feel. Blue has, like, the rot. The decay. In that in that context. Um, yeah, you know, and then obviously when we get into, like, the physical strips of blue velvet. That, you know, when you know, I would have named the film Blue Cheese, but that's yeah. just me. <laughs> well, that would have disgusted yeah. me more, uh, so. I love a blue cheese. But, um... Yeah, it just a lot. I I was trying to spot things the whole time. I'm glad. Engaged, I'm glad. And so. as I take my notes, please feel free to chime in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a few more intro notes. So another reason why I put this here is it's a very aesthetic study of film. Mm-hmm. It's like film 101. What do you think? What do you feel based on these images? Can you like relate anything back to why the uh, director would tell this story in this specific way. Mm-hmm. It's something that I like to an- analyze. Just, you know, just why use this feel and look to the film? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've already touched upon that. You're an educated moviegoer. Thanks to anime, it was not a mistake. I'd like you, to think, You've yeah. seen enough. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and taking inspiration from music and art, which is something that I do constantly. Mm-hmm. It's why I posed for you nude in the the, <laughs> the swing. Yeah, that Titanic <laughs> portrait yeah, that's lost to yeah. the depths now. Yeah, to but time, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, another reason I picked this is because you've grown up in Kenilworth and you've kind of stayed there your entire life. Yes. As I have in Hillside slash Union. And it's kind of that uh, underlying veneer of suburbia. Yes. What is it like on that dark side underneath the pleasant surface? Quite literally, like, the hidden spaces. Because the, the whole, the, the ear is Hidden found... spaces, different places, showgirls. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's a synchronicity right there. We do. We got Kyle McLaughlin, yeah. Our returning star. But the ear is found in, like, the field between, you know, rows of houses. Which, in you know, around here in New Jersey, we do have a lot of. Like, if it's, like, town land beyond, like, Have you ever found an ear, Dan? I have not found an ear, no. Yeah. No. Me neither. I've I've uh, always looked, but I've never found... But it was, but yeah, so it's like, you you could easily imagine something like this springing up. Yeah. Like a dark secret in a small town. Yeah. And that adds to it. And another reason I chose this film is because I feel like the Kyle MacLachlan in this definitely reminds me of you. Okay. I I have a strong Dan vibe emanating from him wanting to solve a mystery in his hometown. (laughs) And get into trouble. Uh, Yeah, associating (laughs) with me doing criminal acts to a degree. I don't think Dan's ever, like, intruded in someone's house and... Had a liaison with them or two. No. To my no. knowledge. 
but you know, I it's me teamed up with the two the light and shadow versions of you. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah it, it fits perfectly. Which yeah. we'll get to. Um, on the release of this film, it was very controversial uh, due to the subject matter, and it's now held for its acting performances and choices, its overall mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does get a little hammy at time, but that's David Lynch. Yes. And I think I'll I'll go into that a little bit deeper in my notes as well. Like, why were some of these choices made? But you love a good mystery. You love a good detective piece. I do. I said, I'll welcome Dan into the fold before I destroy him with theater. Of course. Yeah. But, okay, okay. So I'll, I'll let you, you lead the dance. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lastly, the last reason why I chose this is because I think that a lot of my movies will have a a hazy dreamlike quality to them, mm-hmm. which this definitely has. It's like, is this real life? Is it fantasy? <laughs> and I will say, I was veering towards, oh, is this going to be some kind of dream mm-hmm. at the end? Like, I was yeah. I was like, mm, this is too... It was a happy ending, mm-hmm. as, as much as it could be. Yeah. But I'm like, is he going to wake up? You know, and just be like, I dreamed all that. Yeah, yeah, and that that's a, a good reason to have too. I feel like it does suggest dreamlike qualities going in. Yeah, and that's very Lynchian. Everything he has is very weird, slightly off kilter. Yeah, strange. The dream, yes. as a movie. All right. So with that, I've got through my background notes, my loose background notes. Let's get into the plot. Feel free to interrupt me at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to recap some things that are going on here. Uh, so we begin with the David Lynch theatricality with the blue velvet curtains. Just mm-hmm. like a classic overture going in, a style that I'm always into. If there is an overture, I will be watching the film. And a um, niche for David Lynch lately has been red velvet curtains, a la Baz Luhrmann. Always having red velvet curtains in his film. And Twin Peaks. Yeah. So... Yeah. You know, just something to keep an eye out for directors going in. He certainly likes that look. Yeah. So, And another thing is that this film takes the 50s style and stands it on his head, which is a genre that I think we both can enjoy. We like that Americana being twisted and warped. And really, it, 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 it has, like, a slightly timeless like to to add to the dreaminess it has it has like a obviously it's one of those plots that would be made more difficult with like a cell phone but even then because Mm -hmm. of the character choices and everything it is it could be 50s 60s 70s whatever it you know based on how the characters act and what they have access to and stuff but because it feels so like self-contained inside this like Mm-hmm. bubble yeah here this so. town this this small recluse from humanity and stuff yeah and that's something i like to think like we live in america which is like the land of the dreams mm-hmm. land of the free home of the braves home sorry. of the whopper yeah i got home of the whopper yes um and i always like to think about like we live in america but it's very twisted and evident yeah just living in it and experiencing it and i like when film calls that out too like you can live yeah. in this perfect burg of kennel kennelworth and have someone shit on their field. <laughs> yeah. And and even then, you, you have, like... Uh, again, like, the hidden parts. The, yeah. the, the shadowy, like, liminal spaces where... Yeah. Shit starts to get weird, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, this was cast with relatively unknown actors. Uh, Kyle MacLachlan was from the flop that was Dune at that time. Yes. But David Lynch had a hankering for him, as you could see in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, so he stuck here... And as Agent Cooper, um, we get Isabella Rossellini as a mostly model at the time period. And something that I researched during this is that she's the daughter of Ingrid Bergman. And I went, oh, mm. shit, that ties together my whole, like, Isabella Rossellini love affair from green porno mm-hmm. and such, which, you know, which was like my first introduction to her, mm-hmm. which she showed us how mallard ducks fuck. With their corkscrew penises and such, and mm-hmm. their vaginal mazes. Don't let Grandma listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, well, you, you've got it. It's the Blue Velvet episode. You of know course. I'm going to bring up some sh- sexual shit at this time. <laughs> but it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, we get Laura Dern, only 18 here, and virtually unrecognizable. But she's giving us a classic Laura Dern performance here. And I, I love Laura Dern. I, I too love yeah. Laura Dern. He's so. my favorite movie of all time. Uh, which I'm sure uh, we'll so get to someday. Someday, So this yeah. won't be the last time we see Laura Dern. No. But she's doing her greatest here, too, from being only 18. I mean, of course, she's descended from actor royalty with Bruce Dern. 
and etc. Okay, yeah, I, for, I forgot yeah. Bruce Stern, but she was you, was this her first her first her ever first? film? Okay. Yeah, okay. only only a baby, Dan. But it she she's doing a great job in it. She I is. think she immediately applies herself to like the Lynchian um, tropes of filming. She understands how to like portray herself. She's over dramatic. She's campy at times, but at other times she's the girl at home, like you know, just Ye- being uh, the normal girl next door. Like I feel like in a lot of like lesser movies, you wouldn't have cared about Sandy, but this film made me care yeah. about her character. Like you don't yeah. want her to be heartbroken as the story because you see what Kyle McLaughlin's doing, and you're like, yeah, Sandy's think about Sandy. Like think about her, and yeah. and I feel like that that takes something special to pull off. Yeah, I, I, I would say. And then the biggest name in this film at the time would be Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. Any experience on Dennis Hopper, Dan? Well, uh, the Super Mario Brothers That's all movie. I really know him from. And, um... And Bugs Life? Was it Apocalypse Now? Yeah. Or Full Metal Jacket? One was, of them. He, he was yeah. uh, he was in, like, younger in one of those. Mm. Um, but how did you feel he did in this role? Very convincing, uh, erratic villain. Mm. I, I would say. He's, he's like, a dramatic villain. Yeah. But you... He's scary because he's so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And As he, I am, yes. And he has, like, his little goon squad with him, <laughs> and it's like they're following him. It, it's, I get the vibe that because they're just as scared of him as everyone else is, mm-hmm. uh, but they're just, like, sticking close to him. Yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, so we open on the Bobby Vinton cover of Blue Velvet, picturesque suburbia. Mm-hmm. You know, the fireman is waving with his Dalmatian on the side of the fire car. You know, yes. people are watering their lawns. Children are walking to school. <laughs> Was there a shot of roses at the beginning? Yeah, roses. Yeah. And then they turn yellow. Yes. Yeah, I think it's tulips or roses, but it's like meant to portray I, like yeah. the change of seasons. I know I guess. it ends on tulips. Even though it's only over like... Six days or so. Definitely, but it ends It ends on tulips. I forgot yeah. what it opened on, but white I think it's also fence. like red tulips, if I had to had to quote. Maybe roses, yeah. because roses are... As I mentioned to Dan, this is one of the Jonathan Poster classics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you look around my, my dwelling, you could see possibly some movies that may be suggested at a later time. Of course. And Blue Velvet was one of them. But By Kevin Tong. Like, yeah, look at that art. Yeah, white art. picket fences, and then the sky behind it is like perfect like rich blue yeah so yeah it, it's bright vibrant colors picturesque. but there's something going on beneath the surface here as we see one man watering his flower bed mm-hmm. and then suffering from a stroke yes and we get that like oh shit um and you know the the people inside are watching like noirs on television they're trying to live through that like mm-hmm. the media like, that could never be my life, but it interests me in some way. Mm-hmm. So, another thing that I want. And, like, the mundanity of normal, everyday life versus the unpredictability of death or, like, a sudden occurrence. Yes. We never know. I can go on this podcast and I hope you could publish it. Yeah. I haven't it, taught you, though, so it would be it, difficult. It's yeah. it's a dad watering his lawn and he... The watering. Hose, the hose watering. gets, like, caught on something and you think, oh, is there going to be, like, a mishap? Is he going to, like, fall? Is that hose is going to come and snap out his eyeball? Unironically, yeah. yeah. But, but he just... He has a stroke and then we... It, it goes... Like, the camera goes into the lawn. Well, we get, like, the Godfather scene, where, like, the little baby's running with the oranges. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, we get the... It well, could happen anywhere. Well, a dog comes up and starts licking <laughs> from the hose, and then a kid comes up and is like, he doesn't know what's going Bandit, on. Bandit, call for help. Would Bandit save you? Uh, for a price, maybe. I think but... Bandit would eat you. Maybe an I hour don't goes know by. I yeah. I'd like. I'd like to think that we get the lost ending, but, uh, mm, you know, but... I don't know about that. But no, but then the camera moves in and it's a bunch of, I think, ants or bugs or well, beetles. Yes, yes. We see like the seedy underbelly of, of what's going on. And yeah. like the bugs are like the dark. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like the dark happenings that are. They're crawling occurring. into yeah. a hole under yeah. the ground. And so we'll, we'll get that yeah. in some like uh, Laura Dern monologues later. Yeah. Because like, the beetle comes back. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. And it, and you. I, it, it's a very it wakes you up it's like a very disorienting yeah it's like, loud um, yeah. 
what just happened to this guy? It's still dreamlike. Like, yeah. you know, you can't... It feels like you can't react to the characters in this film. Mm-hmm. Whereas other films, it's like, oh, I feel like I have a little bit more hearsay in what's going on. An understanding of the plot. Yes. If that makes any sense from my drunken ramblings. But whatever. Uh, we got logs, logs, logs. We're in Lumberton, USA, which is definitely a red state. Home of the woodchucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The beavers. Uh, I feel like the beavers would get more puns. It'd be like, yeah, you see the beavers play. There's some time. other movie that's taken advantage of that. I can't remember it, but they had the beavers. But okay. uh, uh, well, we... Charlie's Angels, but oh, classic film. But uh, yeah. but yeah, they're the Lumbertons. There's log imagery everywhere because they're a logging town. Yeah, and we get occasionally we get like a booming log truck going by mm-hmm. and interrupting the otherwise quiet scene. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are introduced to Kyle McLaughlin as Jeffrey Beaumont. He walks home from the hospital after visiting his father, and he finds a severed ear in his town. Yeah. He's I looking said, for stones to throw, and he finds an ear instead. Dan, I know you, and I know if you ever found a severed ear, that'd be like the pinnacle of your life. Yes. <laughs> You'd but be very into that. I've listened to enough true crime stuff to mm-hmm. not move it. Yeah. You don't touch it, you don't no. move it, you don't Well, he's got like a crimes. spare donut, a Dunkin' Donuts bag, all of you. Well, he finds a, well, he finds trash and puts it in the, yeah. the garbage bag that he found, but you don't, you don't, you never disturb the crime scene. Yeah. That's... And another point I want us to think of is that based on this film, we all kind of want to be the hero that discovers something and helps someone. Yes. I think that is what it's trying to find. Uh, well, trying to portray in this film. Like, yes. We all want to do something that makes us feel greater than ourselves in the effort of helping out our fellow human being mm-hmm. and be a hero. Um, but in this turmoil, uh, we are just along for the ride. We don't know that we're just there to experience that. Well, and attempts to do that in real life can be very, very sloppy. Mm-hmm. Like Kyle McLaughlin, like Jeffrey kind of gets by in this movie because other characters are equally as weird. Yeah. And it's like any number of things could have gone wrong from him trying to be a hero here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so Jeffrey takes the ear to de- police detective John Williams. Not that one. Not that one. Um, trusting authority. Another theme. Mm-hmm. Like, can you go to the cops with the severed ear? And the answer by the end is maybe. Yeah. Um, and becomes reacquainted with the detective's daughter, Sandy, played by Oscar winner Laura Dern. Um, and they just want to walk around. As you said, mm-hmm. what did you describe the relationship as before? It's like, um, no sex. Well, it it starts out like they're very, very... They are just friends at the beginning because she is dating, she's dating a football player. Mm-hmm. And, and she's it, a high schooler. I mean, it's not that vast of an age gap. No. But I guess for the 50s, it really didn't matter at all. Um, well, I know my parents are like seven years apart, so... Certainly not at that time, but it's more like he's just an old friend who came back from yeah, college, college, and yeah. it's like that makes it interesting, and so they're talking, and we get like little bits of like background lore that most of... Uh, Jeffrey's friends are, are gone at this point. Yeah. Like, they've all left the town yeah. or they've gone somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a somewhat, like, isolating... Like, when when, a, when a one generation comes of age, they move out of this place and they don't look back. Mm-hmm. And Sandy is still there. Yeah. So she's interested to hear what, you know, is going on with yeah. Jeffrey. Uh, mom and older friend watching film noir on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get the feeling that nothing can go wrong at home. You know, it's safe in suburbia. Nothing could ever happen to me here. Yes. You know, I hate to describe it this way, but it's like very white gentrification area. It's like, we're safe here. Like we're, nothing could ever happen. And it sets up that tranquility to be broken later on. Yeah. I I would say. So so they visit William's house, deny details on the case. And it's like, oh, well, I could give you more if you were older. And it's like that experience of growing up. Like, when you're older, you'll truly know what's happening here. Yeah, and just in general, uh, Detective Williams is like, you know, I can't, I'm not really supposed to yeah. and give out He's details. got, like, his feet up on the desk at home. His yeah. wife is serving him drinks. He carries his gun around the house. Yeah. I'm like, oh, these are all red flags in normal society. But, you But, know. yeah, it's, but he's like, you know, I, I, I really, I'm not, like, one day when the case is resolved and you're older and I think you can handle it, I'll tell you what we, fi- like, we found, fa- like, find out. And yeah. then, obviously, as the movie goes along, you're like, uh, yeah. that was probably never gonna happen, yeah. but 
Yeah. So he's sent back home as like a junior deputy or whatever. Yeah. Like getting the feeling of that. And <laughs> deputy <then> from, Doofy. <laughs> from Doofy. <laughs> Stuck his dick in the vacuum cleaner. Uh, we'll get to worse on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, welcome to <laughs> It Was Not a Mistake After Dark. It's fine. <laughs> but uh, emerging from the darkness, it's Jonathan Kwiatkowski. Oh, Laura Dern. Yeah, she comes out of the shadows. I, I love this scene. She's like, hey. But it ends what up, were you asking my dad? It ends up being recurrent like, imagery for her because she's like a light in the darkness. And yeah. she, she comes out and she's like, you know, uh, you know, I happen to work sometimes. I do like clerical work in the police station. Even though she's a high schooler. Yeah. But she's heard things. She's heard murmurs yeah. about stuff. Yep. Um, and she's... Uh, we get like a lot of like back and forth between them but the 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 main thing is that there's a lot of buzz around the police station Mm -hmm. but the main thing related to the ear seems to be this one woman who lives in this one apartment building in dorothy valens dorothy valens uh but she doesn't know any more than that because all the cases in town tend to you know yeah go in one ear out the other yeah so and it's not her father's like jurisdiction yes to do that case someone Um, else was assigned to the ear on this relationship i had to point out between us it's a rekindling of like an old flame a friendship innocence collaborating with friends on something important yes like you know we've read it we've seen it chapter one it chapter two we understand the importance of coming back and reuniting in our old town with friends from you know our experiences and solving something greater than us that's something that i always wanted to achieve maybe we can go down the sewer and kill a clown i'm just saying and i don't want to harp on the the like the twin peaks stuff but there's all like this town is populated with a lot of characters who stand out for weirdness who yeah. you, you but it makes you remember that scene mm-hmm. like when i think in this early walking scene like uh, just a je- man with his dog just a man standing he's like standing frozen with the yeah, dog, with the dog just watching like what's going on here and then jeffrey's like oh i knew a kid who lived in this house he had the longest tongue i've ever like oh ever my god seen. and the chicken dance did i not write that da- oh yo it's uh, it's it's coming down in my next yeah. notes so uh we hear about dorothy valance who's played by isabel rossellini from death becomes her green porno etc classic actress um takes jeffrey to see the building and we get scummy humanity comes out at night ripping at the seams of this americana mm-hmm. so like the scummy humanity at this point would be the the guy standing still with his dog at sunglasses at night it's like what what was he thinking well things start to get weird that's yeah. the that's the main thing is that and, the night falls and things get weird and a lot of voyeurisms going on like people watching people yes yeah yeah um and then we get like uh, the the kid that lived there he had the biggest tongue in the world um and then the chicken walk yeah yeah, we're seeing the chicken walk. What? <laughs> How charming. A good 50s humor there. Yeah. Yeah. Using humor to cope with the dreamlike quality of the world mm-hmm. that's going on here. Um, then we get to Jeffrey's job, which, you know, he can call any hour that he wants and work there because well, his dad had a stroke. So. Yeah, so he's filling in at his dad's hardware store yeah. and just, like, working shifts. Um, but then the the main people manning the store are two other strange characters, mm-hmm. a, a blind man yeah. and his uh, friend who is always next to him. Mm-hmm. And the two of them have worked out a system where... Yeah. The blind man has remembered every square inch of mm-hmm. the store. Mm-hmm. He, like, knows the stock, like, listing. He knows, like, the sizing and prices for everything. Mm-hmm. And his, like, the guy who's always next to him is just helping the customers yeah. and everything. And Dan, I have to pose the question. Do you know your theater knowledge? This is a theater reference. I do not. Well, you know, this is a reference to Oedipus the Great. Mm-hmm. Oedipus the Great. We've got a blind prophet called Tiresias mm-hmm. who calls everything, says like, oh no, you're going to marry your mother. You're going to fuck up your life. Mm-hmm. And this is the guy. This is what David Lynch is trying to symbolize here okay. is that, you know, there's a uh, a blind predictor of what's going to happen in this series, even though he's just predicting prices for now. Yes. It's like there's someone here ready and able to predict what's going to happen. Oh, very you. good. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Sally is dating Mike. So at the high school, like she's got her oh, football. You mean Sandy? Sandy. Sorry. Uh, Sandy. Say Sandy. Sandy. Uh, is dating Mike. And uh, Jeffrey picks her up at school. We get the college versus the high school. The idealist masculine person that you're supposed to be. Like, All the other gals are like, they're like, that's is, str- is that string bean yours? <laughs> <laughs> I would peel him in an instant. But yeah, so it's, you know, her other friends are, like, gossiping because this guy's picking her up. And 
they're continuing to bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is this when they go to the diner for the first oh, time? That's when they go to the diner, and yeah. it's like, you know, I don't want to be showy, but is he a good guy? Like, they go to this diner uh, with their orange velvet curtains going on. Mm-hmm. It's a very odd setup for a diner. It looks like the turtle from the drunken turtle from Cranford, as I pointed out. Yeah. Same building format. Um, but, like, when they get there, he's eating, and she's not. And it's, like, the 50s mindset of, like, women, they shouldn't be doing that at it the diner. It probably is, yeah. But there's also, it's another Twin Peaks thing. It's a back booth at a diner, like, that, like, where significant dialogue is exchanged. Yeah, and then Laura Dern's like, I had this daydream, but it was too weird. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go that far to describe it as that. But they're eating there, and Kyle MacLachlan brings up his plan. He's like, you know, well, I'm going to try to find out a little bit more about this Dorothy Valance. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sneak into her house. I'm going to pose as the Bugman. Yes, I have, like, help this me. fake sprayer thing that I, I'm borrowing from the hardware store. Yeah. And you're going to create a, a further diversion by pretending to be a, a Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness. Witness. And we get the the next theme of who would suspect us. Like, do you want to live this darker side of yourself? Yeah. And kind of go beyond what you expect yourself to do. Because it's supposed to be a boring town. No one's going to expect intrigue going on yeah. here. And the next thing I have to say is, like, you know, is Jeffrey kind of exuding serial killer vibes? He is. He's wearing all black with his earrings, trying to woo another person into his cause. And he, well, he develops an obsession with yeah. with, with solving this case, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, that's why I assumed from this point that it was going to end tragically, yep. was that he, because he would end up being a prime suspect of, mm-hmm. of at least someone's death as this, you know, probably something that he didn't cause, but he's, he's way too invested and wrapped up in this to, to, you know, yeah. not look suspicious. That's yeah. what I thought was going to happen. And Sally is initially against it. She's like, oh, you know, I don't really want to do this, but if you're that into it, yeah. I can, like, support you. I'll take the Jehovah's Witness magazines, and I'll wait three minutes after you come into the her building. And, or... and kind of, like, masking her romantic feelings for him. Yeah, she, she, yeah. I think she uses the excuse that she it's like, oh, well, you wouldn't be down this route if I hadn't told you that her apartment was there. So yeah. it's like, I'll, I'll stick around. But really, she just wants to spend time with him, time I guess. Time with him, yeah. Um, so, uh, Jeffrey gets into this apartment, and he meets Isabella Rossellini, Mm -hmm. and this very strange dreamlike apartment with multiple chairs, it's very small, it's very crummy, Mm -hmm. even though it looks nice, like, I mean, it's a a nice apartment to live in, I I love when we have, like, furniture and apartments on film, because I love to pretend how I think the characters would live, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a very odd Jonathan trope. But to see if things are livable. No, and... but sir, and you pointed out that this does not look lived in. Like, no, it, it doesn't. There, she has like three eggs on the counter, yeah, like the three limes or whatever. But there's that... no amiibos, no anime figures. How could you live there? And it tracks. Yeah, it it, it really does. Yeah, um, but and and notably, another weird thing is she has an extra key hanging from a little string, almost like she wants yeah someone to come in. Dan. Yeah. You know, you, you notice that, but uh, she has it there, and, like, uh, Laura Dern's job was to distract, but suddenly this man in yellow, the man in the yellow jacket, mm-hmm. comes from Curious George, yeah, all of the hat, and, like, interrupts Dorothy and is like, oh, come out here, I need to have a conversation with you. Kyle McLaughlin steals the keys, and then gets his job done, and yep. runs back to Laura Dern, who says, you know, I would have came there, but that guy came in first. Yes. So I didn't want to, like, ruin the plan of things. Did you get the key? Is it dangerous? We don't know what that key goes to. The original plan, again, in much creepier terms, was to go in, have uh, Dorothy be distracted, then to prop a window open. Yeah. Uh, But then the key ended up being just, you know, a shorter way to do that. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, and then Laura Dern's like, I'll stick around because I messed up this first plan. Yeah, Yeah, like, I owe you, even though you don't owe him, Laura Dern. No, of course not. And my favorite Dorothy line is like, Grand Central Station, things are happening. Yeah, like like two visitors. (laughs) Like, two visitors in one day, without a liaison, like, without a call, without a chaperone. That's how I would react, so, yeah. Who could ever think? But, uh, uh, Jeffrey steals the key, what's next? And then... They plan, like, this date night. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, I, I have further things to do. He's researched Dorothy Valens. We need to find what club she performs at. Well, she performs at Route 7. Mm-hmm. The um, slow club. The slow <laughs> the slow club. She sings jazz there every night mm-hmm. uh, in front of, like, the drunken yokels. We'll go there and 
He's like, do you have a date? She's like, yeah, technically I do have a date on Friday with my boyfriend. But, you know, I'll walk to your house. We'll make it seem a yeah, little less than it is. Yeah. 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 Um, but they do go there. Uh, uh, tell Mike she's sick. Uh, being young and making bad choices. Mm-hmm. That's like another thing that's going there in here. Sally doesn't know what's going on. She's kind of enamored by Kyle McLaughlin at that point. Yeah. So And... One thing with the Jeffrey character, and mm-hmm. it, and I really like it, because Kyle McLaughlin sells it really well, is that he seems to be good at pretending to be wise. Yeah, but, like not, but is not. He's not. He does not he, know anything. He's good at sounding poetic and smart. Yeah. Like, he knows what he's doing. Maybe but the impl- birds go to the stars, baby. But every action we see him take demonstrates the opposite, as we'll see shortly. But, yeah. yeah. So they're drinking some drinks, and we get that Heineken is the... They're drinking some Heineken, but then my dad drinks Bud, which is, ah, the king of beers. Yeah. So, like, he's trying to seem a little bit more worldly there, too. Like, oh, I've got my experience with alcohol. Yeah, and it's just Heineken. So. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It won't do nothing to no one. Um, and then we get this Blue Velvet performance, which, like, everyone shows up for every night. Dorothy Valance has this set that's around blue. Why is she so blue, Dan? And this scene I've seen... Oh, good. I've seen good. it elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's iconic. She's it's like because it's like got the blue neon Greek key pattern on the yeah, side and the of red the velvet stage. curtains behind. She's got a full band. It, you know, it, it it's it is it is iconic. Yeah, uh, I put theater and acting on camera. Uh, we get the blue lady while she performs. Jeffrey tries to sneak back into the apartment as Sally honks four times. Yeah, well, that's the the plan. Seems to be is that yeah. when they know that uh, Dorothy, Dorothy will be busy singing her, yeah. her 18th song of the night when she started her set, we'll we'll sneak over to her apartment and, that and set, let herself. That in. set seemed kind of short, being on the time they got there and and did all that. Probably, but it could be that she's like the headliner or something. So I don't like, know. At this club? What's going on in this town in Lumberton? I don't, know. I don't, I don't know even know. Be- I feel like Dorothy would be like the be-all, end-all. She'd be performing all night. Eh, I don't know. Maybe they just they got her there for a short time. Yeah. But they do show up there and they're like, oh, I'm going to honk four times. If, if I, I notice her, her come yeah. home. So yeah. we get like that Laura Dern staying. Yes. To protect Jeffrey in that moment. Um... Uh, so Jeffrey sneaks into that apartment, uh, and then he hides in the closet because he does, he's peeing. Well, yeah. Which again. is a very serial killer move that he's doing. Well, That's what BTK did. It, it's like a mix between, like, again, why you would think that Jeffrey's going to go that route, but also very, like, he's clearly an amateur, like, he drank well, he a bunch had a of beer, beer yeah. well, beforehand. He had, one, he, had one, he had two beers. Like, yeah, exactly. It's gonna run through you, Dan. So he he has to stop to piss in the middle of his snooping, and then he... We get the loudest flush in cinema. And the flush is so it's loud. so long, so loud and so long. It drowns out the... The, the four honking. beeps, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna beep 18 times, Dan. Oh, that was only 14 times. That wasn't her. But again, that's another, you're absolutely right with the BTK, like that's, it's that's another, exactly what he did, yeah. It's another tease that Jeffrey's going to go, like, to the dark side, but, eh, it yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen. And so. it's like no fear of, like, being caught or the kink at all, it's that no. innocence that, well, I wouldn't say innocence, like that, um, um, naivete that he's trying to portray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he doesn't hear the car honk. He flees into the closet as Dorothy returns home. Um, and he watches her. We get the voyeurism that is this film. Mm-hmm. Watching other people in their normal everyday lives. Like, she comes home, she immediately takes off her clothes, which I do. I don't know about y'all. Like, as soon as I get up here, I'm like, I'm naked! <laughs> Running around, reenacting the witch. <laughs> and, well, yeah, and, and I, I, is that when we first see she, she is wearing a wig? Yeah, more and uh, more appearances. Well, she takes the phone call with Frank first. Yes. Which is like, you know, baby loves you, how's daddy, how's Donnie, how's Donnie Jr.? Yes. Um, so we see that she's got a little bit more going on for her. She takes off her wig, she, like, collapses to the back, the bathroom, like, holding up the walls and such. She, she also, like, falls to the floor and she looks at a picture underneath the sofa. Yeah. Like, she has, like, a, a framed picture of her family underneath that, that sofa, and it's just, like, thin enough that, you know, it's hidden from whoever comes looking, but she takes it out, looks at it, and then... Like, it seems like sensory-wise, like, she just, like, lets herself Escape. melt over the carpet yeah. to, like, yeah. just 
cope with Whereas it would be weird. On. She puts her forehead down to the carpet and just collapses. And yeah. I said, that's very theatrical. That's very, like, Greek theater, a yes. la Oedipus. It's like, that's how they would show their emotions. They would physically collapse if they were too exhausted to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a great point that you made up. Uh, of course, Kyle MacLachlan's, like, looking like, should I look? Mm-hmm. But can't look away. So we get that whole, like, it's so dark and twisted, but... It yeah. kind of turns me on. And getting, like, moments of, like, she, at one point, she does reach into the closet to get, like, her nightgown. Yeah, but Kyle McLaughlin's so skinty that... <laughs> String bean, he's <laughs> He was just there. a wire hanger. No but more wire hangers. Yeah. He does end up making noise. Like, he, he knocks something Yeah, he something knocks something over. over and she pulls, like, a knife, walks in, we get that dramatic, and to which Dan gasped. I did. He went, <gasps> No, I wrote it in my notes. Yeah, it he was, said, my God, what's was, happening here? I heard it. I said, ooh. It was one of the most effective... What, like versions of that kind of scene that I had ever it well, was just like, so quick it's well, not like the it, music it, swells it it's does. like you know it's like what are you doing in my closet get out and she has like the the, the, the knife. knife um yeah and like she's asking him like that and she actually stabs him for like a minor stab yeah but even then you're like oh no Kyle McLaughlin you're in danger girl yes you gotta be safe but he says like you know I, I'm just here I wanted to watch you. She might think that, like, he's one of her fans. That's how he's trying to play it. Like, yeah. oh, I'm I'm just, like, an obsessed fan from the club who came to, to see you. Yeah. Um, and we get her, like, turning the abuser into the abusee. Yes. You know, like, or abusee into the abuser. She like, has him undress. Yeah. No. She undresses him and says, like, make love to me, take off your clothes, whatever. And then we hear a knock at the door. So he's he's got to gather up his things. Yeah, go back into the closet. And uh, Dorothy throws the steak knife behind the radiator. The radiator, a la Racerhead, if you've ever seen. That's okay. a reference. We okay. get the girl who lives in the radiator. Okay. I know that's a deep cut, but I you've never not, seen a Racerhead? I've never seen a Racerhead. I will probably watch it oh, after Dan, this. Oh, Dan, you got to so. watch it. That's a good drunk watch. That's yeah. a good high watch. That's going to get you where you need to go. That's even weirder than this. This yeah. is like a, a common plot. Friend of the podcast, Matt Cabrera, brought that up last um, week. We watched it on Nightcaps at the theater, and so, I already had seen it before, so... I, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she shoves Jeffrey back into the closet, and then we get Frank Booth entering, and we get, like, getting love and affection from all the wrong places, mm-hmm. um, quickly hiding that under the rug, and then we get Frank as, like, the toxic rapey slash lover. Yeah. Know? Very much like a, whatever his his kink is, he does not want to be looked at. He's got a lot of baby baby daddy kinks. Mommy things. Yeah, mommy, mommy he, issues, yeah. Does not want to see her eyes. He's got his little oxygen mask. Yeah, and then, of course, this is another read of the film, is that um, Jeffrey's watching like an abusive mother-father relationship mm-hmm. going on. Because we've got mommy and daddy yes. going on here. Um, but, uh, you know, he's slapping her around, uh, he's breathing, and then he does a little shop of horrors, and is like, I need, like, the laughing gas to get me through this. Okay, it's, it's, la- it is laughing gas? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. 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 And he pulls that out of his pocket, and is like, you know, baby wants to fuck? An iconic scene? Where did he get that from? Why does he need that? Yeah. And Kyle it, McLaughlin is just watching, horrified. It just makes him stand out. It makes him... I, I don't know. It just adds to the, the, to the bizarre nature of this. Yeah, and so. not being able to, like, help her, like, go out until the danger is gone. Yes. Um, but he's watching this throughout, and he says to, well, uh, Frank says to Dorothy, like, do it for Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. Piecing together the mystery that, like, that is her husband, Donnie. Yeah, whose ear was, was missing. forcibly removed. With scissors, because... With, he also owns scissors and torments with her with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, piecing together mystery after Frank departs, Dorothy makes a romantic overture towards Jeffrey, who leaves, um, and we get, like, the savior complex, but he does, like, help her onto the couch, like, are you okay? Do you need anything? Mm -hmm. Um, and she's like, no, I don't like that. Stay with me a little bit, and then go. Yeah. Uh, but we get this, like, white savior complex, is like, I helped out that woman. I'm kind of intrigued by where I'm going here. Like, I don't consider Jeffrey a good character. No, I I think that he definitely changes from like that innocence to the dark-sided version of himself by the end of the film yeah well he develops an obsession and it corrupts him so yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, oh my god that hat why did i write that down who has a hat uh but i put down savior complex confusing love and pain uh bright light so he goes out and like experiences like a daddy night terror mm-hmm where he's like, oh, my dad's dying. He's whispering to me. I don't understand what he's saying. I, I don't want to hit or abuse Dorothy. 
I've got a lot of things going on here. What, did you write down? Oh my god, the hat because of that thing on his wall, or that might be. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what that was. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. It was like a beating heart almost with teeth. Yeah, I, I I don't understand. Weird little decoration he has. But yeah, yeah. Um, but going back to regular life, unable to forget and go back. So we get like PTSD. Like mm-hmm. once I did it, once I'm in, that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Um, Frank cut the ear off Dorothy's husband. And we get a disturbed Jeffrey relaying the experience to Sandy. Um, and so they park next to a church at this mm-hmm. point, And the organ is blaring. And I'm like, what religion do you think these people might be? And I said, maybe Protestant. I said, like, I don't think they're Catholic because the Catholics hated this film. And I don't think that would flow in that town. No, it, it, it seems like Protestant or Presbyterian. But yeah. it's like, it, it, it helps with the imagery that there's all the stained glass windows in the background mm-hmm. and the organ music going while Sandy delivers her monologue. Yes. Where it's like, you know, I had a dream where there were no robins. And then the robins came home and they ate all the boogs. Well, they brought lo- they brought love. light and love yeah. back into the world, and the, yeah. the world had had no light or love before them. But then, when the robins entered, uh, it came back, and I had that dream, Jeffrey, the night that you know I reunited with you, because this is after Jeffrey has recounted like the world is a terrible place. It's a strange world. It's yeah. a scary world. Um, like, why do people like Frank exist? Um, and I, you know, Sandy mm-hmm. goes into that to try to, I, I guess comfort him a little bit well it's stream logic love conquers all yes you know we're trying to circumvent the evil of this world um then we get another that uh jeffrey goes back to dorothy for like another sitting and she's like i looked for you in the closet tonight and you weren't there yeah Hmm. so Uh, so she's be it because he was nice to her she she has developed like uh an, an unhealthy thing for him yeah yeah and they make love, they make passionate love. She's found a lover in him, but as Kyle McLaughlin's leaving, the second Dan gasp, uh-oh, Frank shows up. Yes. It's like, uh, who's this? Well, we also, significantly, one of the, we'd also get that, that he has to, she makes him hit her. Yeah. The, for the first time. And he doesn't time. want to. Yeah, but he does. And, and that keeps flashing back to him for the rest of the movie, because he's like, that was... I would assume that he thinks that's when, like, he finally went over and got into this, like, I, I violated this my wife thing, yeah. and I I struck her, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Frank shows up and goes, who the fuck is this? That's just a, that's just a family friend, he's just a good boy. Yeah, a neighbor boy. Hmm, yeah. a neighbor boy, huh? Wanna go for a ride? And, and Frank force, Frank and his goons forcibly take... And these goons, they're not intimidating. They're not. It's just, like, white doughy people there's, there's one guy in like a silver elvis jacket there's another guy with a boater yeah. hat doesn't uh, make any sense but yet yeah, they're they're street toughs dan and boater hat guy has definitely been in a lot of other movies I'm i sure. don't remember his name offhand but and then there's like a third the big muscle guy uh and they're like his his squad mm-hmm. um but they take uh jeffrey and dorothy for a ride and they go to ben's house yeah they gotta meet ben my friend ben we're going there ah and like, there's an abusive car ride where they're like slapping him around. It's scary. We're here already. Whatever. Uh, but Ben is this. I don't know how to describe it. Like this uh, well dressed <laughs> crooner, a, night crooner. Just a bizarre. Like he's wearing like caked on face makeup. He it, it, like Frank keeps stressing to him how suave he is. Like oh you're so you're unbelievably suave. He's hanging out with like gossip gerties in the room and more importantly it's at his house that that dorothy's family is being kept hostage yeah little donnie yeah Yeah. where she's allowed to see for like a second yes uh but while that's going on like we get this relationship between frank and ben yeah and like they're kissing each other they're going like sing me that song that you know calms me down and we don't get any more detail beyond that. No. Like, presumably Ben is involved in, in whatever criminal enterprise Frank has, but we don't know in what capacity. We don't know what he does. Yeah, you ever been to Pussy Heaven? Ben does, like, sucker punch Jeffrey at one point. Yeah. So this is clearly not, like, Ben is not the nicer of the two of them or whatever. It's just, like, these are Frank's friends. Yeah. So You want yeah. me to pour that beer? No, I want you to fuck it. Yeah. 
Uh, but that goes on. Of course, Ben uh, calms down Frank with a serene rendition of uh, a tiny clown was standing outside my bed or whatever. Yeah, singing into yeah. like a little like fog dreams. Lamp. Yeah, yeah. And we got like an iconic film lip sync. And Dan, I have to ask, you know, if you're going through the drug-addled free um, phase before your death, what song is going to be lip sync to you? You'd see me. What song would I lip sync to you, Dan? Uh, what is it? I'm going to mispronounce it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Idolvice? Idolvice? From the sound of music? It's It's got like this, wow. there's like a running thing through my Oh my, my god, I would have that... never predicted that. I was going towards uh, Evanescence. You told me I couldn't pick one of those things. Oh, but you know, I don't know. But I don't know. I... That sound of music. I can quote every line of that movie, Dan. So I would probably say that one. But if Edelweiss. not, if not that, then unironically my heart will go on. Because wow. I, Titanic scarred me when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, or if it has to be Evanescence, then My Immortal. Yeah. But it's yeah. not, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. Oh, I so. thought that would be it for sure. I mean, mine's going to be a Lana Del Rey track appropriate for of this course, movie. Of course, yeah. It's definitely going to be video games. It's going to be uh, uh, Lolita. It's going to be um, uh, Dark Paradise. Okay. It's going to be something. Summertime sadness. I don't know. But that's definitely the song you would lip sync. And I'll be like, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going. Uh, but Frank is suffering this escapism through music. Uh, we get another theatrical dream lip sync, which causes Frank to suffer that same breakdown. And afterwards, he takes Jeffrey to a field where he gives well, him a threatening, symbolic kiss before subjecting him to a violent beating. Well, notably, it's like, again, with Twin Peaks, it's a lumberyard. It's like a big, gigantic, like, there's all these, you know, structures in the background, but no one, they're alone out there. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then we get, like, this iconic scene of this woman dancing on the car. Yeah. Like, she does this every day. It's like, oh, another beating. Time to they, shuffle and shimmy on the car. I think they picked her up at Ben's house. So yeah. she's, like, used to this, presumably. Yeah, yeah. And she's just dancing on the car, mm-hmm. so. Well, this kid gets the shit beaten out of him. Yeah. Yeah, well, Frank huffs and Isabella Rosalie's like, no, no, don't do it. And, and Frank gets another monologue, like you get a lo- you, like if I send you a love, a love letter, letter, it's gonna be like a bullet from a gun. Yeah, like you won't forget, like you, it'll change you forever. So asserting yeah. dominance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey wakes up beaten and bloody. We get the PTSD of being abused that mm-hmm. he now suffers, and he knows and understands why Dorothy suffers that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barbara, I love you, but you're gonna get it. We get the family questioning him. Yeah, they're, well, they're trying to, and he's not, he, he's, he refuses to, to talk about it with them, but, but Barbara's like, you know, I read in a magazine, it helps to talk about your problem. And he's like, Barbara, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna fucking don't, get it. Don't start. Uh, the next day, Jeffrey goes to the police station and going to a higher authority. Do you trust them? Like, would you? I don't know. Mm, it, it, it is... I like how it's said because you really don't know. It's still a solid maybe by the end of the movie. And I, I would, when when we get to the end of the movie, I'll talk about why it's still a maybe. Mm-hmm. But it, it's definitely a maybe. So Jeffrey realizes that Sandy's father's partner is the Yellow Jacket Man that mm-hmm. he saw talking to Dorothy before and making those corrupt deals with Frank um, at the shady but, businesses. Because Jeffrey was originally, we saw him in a very, like, attempt boy scout move he put all of his evidence into a little folder and was going to bring it to the police station to present but the first person that he sees in his office is the yellow jacket man yeah so then he goes to then he goes to the williams house to deliver the evidence directly um but you know that's uh yeah that's the next part then yeah so the yellow jacket man who has been murdering frank's rival drug dealers and stealing their supplies from the evidence room for frank to sell himself yes so that's the uh, backstory we get and then we get the vicious cycle of the corruption and the police mm-hmm. like they're fueling their own fire going on here another blue symbolism yep technically a blue velvet yeah yeah uh not woman's work we also get that comment it's like oh well you can't really be involved in this you're a woman like yeah Whatever. Um, uh, Later, Jeffrey confesses everything to Sandy, and the two attend a party together where they admit their feelings for one another. It's like this uh, wall, wood-paneled high school after the dance. Well, he does give the evidence to Sandy's father, and then he 
is very clearly like we we don't know what he's going to do because mm-hmm. the man in the yellow jacket is there and we get like this tense little oh yeah have a good time tonight, you two. And then Jeffrey's mm-hmm. like, oh, he was giving me fatherly advice. But yeah, then they go to the wood panel basement for and the party. And he sees the men in the yellow there, yeah. too. Like, oh, oh. like Yeah, it's it's connected. So, yeah. But then they go to the wood panel party and confess their love for each other and kiss. Yeah, and I said that's like kind of finding normalcy in the trauma that's going on around you. It is. Like, you know, trying to get back, sticking with the familiar. Uh, on the way home, they're pursued by an unidentified car and assume it's Frank and his gang. As they arrive at Jeffrey's home, Sandy recognizes the car, uh, that as her boyfriend Mike's car. Mm-hmm. And then, suddenly out of the bushes, a naked Isabella Rossellini emerges. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that this is an actual experience that David Lynch had. Oh, As okay. a child, he saw a naked woman emerge from a bush, clearly raped and beaten before, and had to call the cops. Jesus, okay. So he's like, I'm going to incorporate that into this movie, because it seems very dreamlike that she would just emerge from the bush. I mean, I hate to compare it to It's a Wonderful Life, but it's a very similar scene. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, um, oh my gosh, what's her name? Uh, why can't I remember her name? The, the classic Hollywood, uh, D- D- Dorn, oh my god, why can't I remember her name? Is it Dorothy also? No, not Dorothy. No, no, no. It's the actress who played her on... Oh, my God. Oh, that's that's your guy's, that's your guy's it's, film. It's coming. I, it's, I... it's coming. It's coming. It, just keep talking. What happens, Okay, well, Dan? you and Grant always joked about, oh, she's a librarian. She's ugly in this timeline. I'm and trying you to were, think of it. I'm upset. having a stroke. I'm having a stroke. You were upset because how could they portray her as a frumpy librarian when it's, when it's blank? Somewhere that's green. It's in the, it's in the thing. Keep go- keep going. It's coming. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Continue so, the plot. It's so coming. They kind of they they take Dorothy into the car and then mm. they bring her to the Williams house. Donna Reed. Donna, Donna Reed. Donna Reed. Okay. <laughs> you, you, got, you got it. See. Um, <laughs> Looks like Donna Reed. Oh, you were singing the the Family Guy. Little shop. Well, yeah. Not the Family Guy. The little <laughs> shop, Dan. <laughs> But, uh... Looks like Donna Reed! They they go to the Williams' house where, yes. you know, uh... Sandy kind of finally understands that, that Jeffrey and Dorothy have developed this... Well, no, at first she does, like, the, the woman thing of, like, accepting woman without a question. Yeah, Which I first, love. She's first. like, come in, please, we're gonna serve you, we're gonna help you. But then she sees that Dorothy knows Jeffrey. Yeah. And then it's like, oh shit, what's and, going on here? And she's like latched on to him and, yeah. and referencing all the times, you know, like, do you still love me? That kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. Sandy does, you know, she breaks down, understandably. Yeah. Where's my a, dream? Um, you know, and then, I mean, at that point, Jeffrey kind of like, they have to resolve it because Dorothy is, is taken away to the hospital. And uh, I think at this point, Jeffrey knows that he has to like, and like something yeah he has to go back to like dorothy's apartment because he's assuming that something whatever happened to her went down there mm-hmm. so we we get that but sandy does like i i believe jeffrey accompanies dorothy to the hospital and then calls sandy sandy has forgiven him but is is clearly shaken up by yeah. this whole thing yeah. and, and she is very terrified that in bringing this to a conclusion jeffrey's going to get himself hurt mm-hmm um, uh, she can't have perfection yes in this town uh jeffrey asks sandy to tell her father everything and returns alone to dorothy's apartment where he discovers dorothy's husband dead missing ear shot in blue velvet stuff in the mouth mm-hmm. so a lot's going on here like we can assume that that's like some of frank's kinky shit that's going on yes that he murdered him in that way and then the yellow man mortally wounded and standing up straight He's got he is he's got an open head wound, mm-hmm. which we assume happened because in some kind of scuffle, maybe with Dorothy, his head was slammed into the television set. Yeah, and then he, with the you know with the brain damage, had been standing. But there. But then he also like slaps the phone away because his like reflexes yeah. are still partially working. But it's yeah. a very I, I would say that is what I'm going to remember most. In I'm glad, because of... that's the scene that I was like, what do you think fucking happened here? And you've clearly summed it up in, like, an instant. And, and it's and it's like... That's it, like all moviegoers. It's like, why did he die standing up and, like, aside to this person? But it's like, it's like a haunt... Well, yeah, and you, you don't... It takes a minute to piece it together with Jeffrey, but it's like, okay, he got his head smashed into the TV, and he's in shock, and he's standing there, and it's like... 
when it, when it first opens to that scene, though, it feels supernatural. It feels like, oh, this is this is breaking reality for a second here. But it's it you know it's yeah. it's really just the dreamlike quality again. Mm-hmm. So, so Jeffrey's about to leave the apartment after that, and then he stumbles upon Frank in the well dressed man outfit, yeah. where he did like his other deals before in his, his Burt Reynolds costume. Yeah, he's got a little uh, handlebar mustache yeah. that he's got slapped on his face, and he's like, oh shit, I gotta. Run back into the apartment, turn the keys. Frank's running up the stairs again. Mm-hmm. And he does like the two-way radio and calls uh, uh, Lord Dern's dad. Well, it's the police radio because yeah. he got it f- presumably from Yellow Jacket Man. He got like he was listening in on all the police radio calls as part of this arrangement that they had. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm hiding in Dorothy Valance's bedroom. Yeah. Please come get me. While he goes, he hides in the closet and he takes the Yellow Jacket Man's gun mm-hmm. with him. Yeah, and then Frank comes in. You dumb fuck! I've got a police radio! What are you doing? Taking his sweet time. Yeah. Going through each and every room, monologuing. Inhaling the laughing gas yeah, again. the ether of his, yeah. Yeah. And then he eventually shows up at the closet, and, you know, Laura Dern runs in at the last second. He also shoots Yellow Jacket Man again yeah. to be safe. Oh, yeah, yeah, he shoots. Yeah. yeah, but not um, uh, Donnie. Yeah. Yeah, he's already dead. He's clearly dead. But he does do that again. But he shows up in the closet and uh, Jeffrey has to shoot Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Kill him dead. One and... bullet through the head and similar to what Frank was motioning towards before. And Sandy and her father arrive on the scene. Yeah. And he let his daughter go into that crime scene first, huh? Yeah. And again, this is... I was still expecting tragedy because the way that the father says... It's over, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they think Jeffrey, like, killed all Did these that, people. Yeah. But no, but not in David Lynch's dream world, then. Yeah. Um, so we get Sandy's father leading a police raid on Frank's headquarters, killing his men and crippling his criminal empire. Uh, Jeffrey and Sandy enter into a relationship and attend a family barbecue with his recuperated father. Mm-hmm. All the parents are hanging out with each other, like, oh, you. Yeah. In the distance, very dreamlike quality, like watching them sitting on the couch, barbecuing, whatever, but not there present in the space. Yes. Um, and then we see that uh, Jeffrey's aunt is like, oh, look, there's a robin there on the windowsill. What's it doing? Eating it's a eating a bug. Yeah. Eating a bug. Eating a beetle. I could never do that. But that means the robins are back, Dan. Yeah. And goodness can prevail Yet again. Even in this strange world. And then lastly, Dorothy is reunited with her son with her stupid fucking beanie hat. The musical beanie hat, yeah. Yeah, that I hate. It's the only thing that brings me joy. But yeah, and it closes out on those tulips. Yeah, all in the mind, and then we get another through the ear shot from like Kyle MacLachlan Mm -hmm. sitting on the the bench. Like we go from ear to ear. Yeah. Yeah? It, 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 It... I don't know. There's 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 so much to it. And again, all the way up until the end, I was expecting not a happy ending because it seems like Mr. Williams could have been in on what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then he finally staged that raid because he realized that Kyle had evidence and like the the photo cuz he he asks Kyle like uh, Jeffrey. He asks Jeffrey like, yeah, "Oh, Kyle who, McLaughlin, yeah. who has these pictures?" And it's like, "Oh, it's me and probably just the photo store." Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I part of me read it as Sandy's dad was in on it. It could be. So it could be. It's like that that uncomfortable vibe to it yeah. at the end. But I, I don't know. All right, Dan. So final thoughts. What did you think of Blue Velvet? I liked this film very much. Mm, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like feels like an appropriate like primer for for what Twin Peaks would be. I went in, again, because I had no idea what to expect. I went in expecting, like, supernatural stuff to happen, but no, it was a straight, uh, you know, like, I guess, crime drama, you want to call it? Mystery. Mm. Um, but, no, it was, I, I thought it was excellent. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, something that I wouldn't normally pick as my first run on a podcast, mm-hmm. but something that needed to be shown. Of course. Yeah. I'm glad you've seen it. I'm glad the audience has experienced it, or previously experienced it in my... Or no will. Yeah. Or will. Um, it's a great film. I think you should check it out. It's definitely my favorite David Lynch property. Currently, right behind Elephant Man. I really do like Elephant Man. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday we'll watch that. But uh, w- thank you for listening to Good Movie Podcast. Of course. Yeah. A nice, tight, um, executive 
kind of finish for good movies, as we like. We're going to throw these in at random when yeah, the urge uh, I, strikes I know us. Dan's will come next, but I already have a hint for my next one. Mm-hmm. So listen carefully, audience. But Dan, before we go, where can our audience reach us on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Threads, and Twitter. Uh, threads? Uh, still Threads, still barely there. Yikes. But, uh, as King underscore Dennis, where I'm going to be posting artwork that we conjure up on this podcast and other stuff. Uh, and our adjacent anime was not a mistake podcast uh, Instagram and Facebook pages. And you can find me, John Dickwykowski, at Losing My Mind JK on Instagram, Drink and Read JK on the Twitter and the TikTok, and other movie podcast relations, including Nightcaps of the Theater and Drink and Read the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a while. I'm going to tease what I'm going to show next on Good Movie Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, all I'm going to say is bye bye love, bye bye happiness. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I'll leave Dan to think on that for a couple of weeks, and then I'll be back with another good movie. But Dan, of course, this is an anime podcast. It's an anime podcast. For those of you who don't know, yes. what do you tease to have us watching next? Well, uh, after some internal debate, mm. uh, a we, lot. we are yeah. going to dedicate, well, I will dedicate three more episodes to G Gundam. Yeah. Um, because there are, I, at this point, there are 12 episodes left, and I sincerely don't want to skip any of them. So you know what? It's our podcast. <laughs> it's the summer. We're going to do what we want. We've got three more G Gundam episodes, but this is the penultimate stretch. Mm. Uh, We're going to learn more about, uh, you know, obviously Domen Kashu's past, his brother's past, the the identity of the mysterious Schwarz Bruder, Mm. what exactly is Master Asia's endgame, and Wong, that guy in the floating chair, (laughs) what is he up to? I don't know, I hope it's something bad. But, uh, you know, we will be resuming uh, and finishing, uh, well, in the stretch to, to finish Mobile Fighter G Gundam, where uh, we enter the Battle Royale Finals, and the Devil Gundam might just rise again. I could still see Blue Velvet through my tears. I want some Red Velvet cake. Oh, not Blue Velvet cake. Red Velvet. (laughs) I see what you did there, Dan. Good job. Bye-bye. What's better than a bad movie? Well, sometimes a good movie, of course. And here on Good Movie Podcast, Dan, Jonathan, and maybe even a couple of guests talk about the movies that made them. Think of this as a a once-in-a-while, more casual discussion on the details and nuances of films we love. And more of an after-movie chat with Nicole Kidman in the AMC ad. That's the kind of vibe we're going for here. As always, the Anime Was Not a Mistake family appreciates the loyal listeners like you. Thank you. If you want to join the conversation, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake or our personal social media accounts that we mention at the end of the episode. With that, we'll let the music play us out. Thanks as always, and remember to ask yourself, what makes a good movie?